Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I am your show host, Christina Francie, and today I am thrilled to be interviewing Michaela Canterbury, who is a lawyer and a writer. Michaela obtained her law degree in Gonzaga University School of Law in Spokane, Washington, and graduated from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science and a minor in Philosophy. Michaela is licensed to practice law in Alaska and is owner, operator, and lead trial lawyer at Kelly and Canterbury LLC, where she works with her husband, Christopher, partner in all things. Michaela resides in Eagle River, Alaska with Christopher, where they raise their son, daughter, and dogs in the same valley and woods where she was raised. Michaela, it is such an honor to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to dive into this topic because I think addiction is something that is maybe one person away of who we know. I know a lot of families struggle with that, especially in the times that we live in. And can you explain a little bit more about your book and how you came up with it? Sure. Yeah, you're so right that addiction touches really everybody. I think there's everybody loves an addict. <laughs> so this book uh, came into my life. Um, my sister is a recovering addict. She's um, been in recovery. It'll be four years this March. Um, but uh, the book, uh, Sister Siren, a nonfiction about addiction and a field guide on how to love an addict is really about our family's journey um, with my sister uh, when she was in active addiction, how we learned about it and what we what we did as a family. Um, I come from a family of high-functioning professionals. Uh, I'm a trial lawyer. My father's a trial lawyer. Um, my husband's a trial lawyer. My mom's a PhD. And my sister uh, was a college athlete and uh, has a master's degree in counseling and a business her own. And so she was slipping down this slope of addiction and none of us knew. And we come from a small community and like the coaches didn't know. <laughs> The priest didn't know. Yeah. None of us knew this was how she was so high functioning. And so the book is really about the story of how uh, it was it surfaced, really, and then how we mobilized to support uh, support my sister. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy. So there's I have uh, resources in my book uh, of what worked for me, mm -hmm. tips and tools. That's why I also call it a field guide on how to love an addict, because it's it's hard to love an addict. <laughs> no, it's hard. I mean, I've experienced it uh, close to my home and I know a lot of families experience, you know, addiction. And, you know, I would really love to get your insight on how we can support the addicts that you love, you know, during the holidays. Yes, that's um, such a good question. It's really, um, and it's so timely. Uh, there's there's always something to celebrate, right? And so, and families want to celebrate whether it's graduations or weddings or different holidays, Easter, Christmas, no, you know, November for Thanksgiving. Um, and there's been an increase in mental health struggles since you know post COVID and you know 
economic downfall, social unrest, all that jazz. And so we tend to isolate ourselves and addiction is already isolating. People already feel isolating. So having tools in your toolbox on how to support the addict or, or reach out to the addict. So um, one is host a sober event <laughs> or if you're hosting an event, have some, uh, you know, ha ha have some options um, for the addict in your life and educate yourself on what their addiction is. I mean, for my sister, it was, um, it was, it was drugs. Um, and she, uh, she's in a relationship with, uh, um, uh, a recovering alcoholic. And so I know that when she's going to come, let's, let's, let's have some options for her boyfriend and mm -hmm. let's have some options for her because she's supporting him in his recovery as well. So educate yourself on their addiction, whether it's a food addiction or a gambling addiction. I mean, you don't want to be playing games <laughs> that are going to trigger, yeah. you know, uh, whatever their addiction is. So educate yourself on their addiction. Also talk to your addicted loved one directly. And, um, you know, how, how can we, how can I support you? I know this may be, you know, and what are some of your triggers that I should be mindful of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then also if this, then that type, type talking with, uh, the person that you love that struggles with addiction. So if this happens, then that, and then kind of be their accountability partner. Okay. I got you. You got me. And like, if you're, if you, if you know, there's going to be someone that, um, uh, is triggering or, you know, uh, um, uh, just be mindful of that. And like, don't sit them next to them yeah. at the dinner table. Okay. When you're sitting down for dinner <laughs> or just be mindful of that, about how we're going to, you know, do the flow of a, a of a social event or of a gathering. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you know that there's someone who's like antagonistic or would trigger them, just be mindful of that and kind of like, kind of already think about the flow of your yeah. events. That Get a game do. plan down. Um, uh, yeah. Offer to be their account. Yes, exactly. Offer to be their accountability partner. Um, and um, also, you know, I think it's good to like set goals as a family. You know, if you're having a family gathering, I mean, what, I mean, it doesn't always have to be about food and drink. I mean, it could be something else. I mean, I live in Alaska, so we sled, we skate, we walk in nature a lot. And so there can be gatherings like that, that, you know, just don't involve the addiction, you know, or, or what would trigger them. So talk with your family about, uh, you know, different types of events where we can gather and still, you know, nurture our relationship and, and, and move our relationship in, in a way that doesn't involve their addiction or their trigger. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there's always a lot of indulgence around um, celebrations or yeah. the holidays. And so there's just more opportunity for triggers. And so just being mindful of that and having a genuine conversation with the addict you love and your family and the people who are coming. I call those people family. <laughs> friends that are family in Alaska. We have that a lot because we're so far away from everybody, you know, so we have family. And so just, you know, being real with everybody who's going to be at the event about, Hey, this is happening. And so how can we make this? So it's not a trigger inducing stressful situation for this person that we love that struggles with addiction. 
No, that's so great. It's so great to just be mindful and also get curious, you know, and that like that was really great for them to ask the questions. Um, well, for us to ask the questions for the attic, you know, if not this, then that and, um, you know, what are some triggers and, you know, and it's really great because I think people do need accountability in in life, especially struggling with addiction. I think that's probably one of the hardest things to overcome is is your addiction. Um, it's, it's something that takes a lot of willpower in the person wanting to change. And so as we are supporting, um, you know, the addicts that we love, like what are some five ways that we can support the addict and love them, but without enabling them? Because I know sometimes that that can be a fine line for people. They're trying so hard, but then also they can be an enabler. So what are some five ways that we can love them without enabling First is showing up, okay? Show up for the person that you love. Know what your limits are. People use the word boundaries a lot. Um, I kind of think that that puts a hurdle towards a relationship. Mm -hmm. Basically getting in tune with, this is what I can do in this relationship. For me, it was just showing up for my sister. Yeah. And I knew, I mean, the limits that I have are different than the limits our mother had, um, which are different than the limits, different than how my dad can sh- could show up mm-hmm. and different from how my husband could show up. And so um, knowing what, where, where you personally draw the line. Okay. Um, showing up for an addict with 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 stuff that's going to help okay and having those discussions uh i had a discussion with my sister about being her emergency contact like how can i support her i'm fine with being her emergency contact and i wanted to make sure that she had a sober (laughs) person to be her emergency contact if that's in your bailiwick then that's in your bailiwick. But again, that's getting in tune with what you can do and how mm-hmm. you can show. I hope I'm not freezing. In any event, another way is when you do show up, bring things that help. Um, so I always carried Narcan in case there was an overdose. Okay. I would bring protein, protein foods okay. that were healthy. So I, I would show up with like smoked salmon or shrimp, (laughs) granola bars. I would also bring things that I knew that she needed that she probably wasn't able to get herself. I mean, I'm talking about times that I would, uh, Christina, I would like show up at a trap house and know my sister was in there and what can I bring? So I would bring her phone chargers. I would bring her food. I would bring her water. I would bring her first aid kits. I would bring her feminine protection. Uh, So know what would help your addict. Now that's, I'm talking about things when they're, you know, on the streets, homeless, that kind of thing. There's also ways. Yeah. And there's ways to, um, I mean, I I went to um, uh, open Naranon meetings with her. (laughs) You know, I, I, I offered to do that with her. Now, this is the stuff that I was able to do. And like I said, in the beginning is, getting in tune with what you can do. There was, now I'm not going to lie. There were points where I wanted her recovery more than she did. Mm -hmm. And so 
people could say, hey, that's enabling Michaela when I'm like driving through a snowstorm to get her to a doctor's appointment. And she's like, I'm not going. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? I just drove 40 minutes and could have died. But then there's that realization for me that I know, okay, Michaela, step back. You know, you're wanting this more than her and you're not taking care of yourself. That's another thing to do is take care of yourself before you start loving on your addict. Also, waiting for them to ask, you know, as to what, what they, what they need, you know? So, so how can we, what are some self-care measures that, that we can do, um, in order to be that person to show up for, to help them. And we're not kind of like killing ourselves in the process as well. Yeah. But quite frankly, what helped me was, um, I, I saw a counselor, so I would have a safe (laughs) space Mm -hmm. to, um, to, to navigate this, uh, a safe container to navigate this because I couldn't, I couldn't talk and I wouldn't talk with my kids about it. I mean, I did, but you know, not the deep, deep, deep. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. You just kind of like sprinkled I mean, the they, kid friendly topic about it. <laughs> right. I mean, when my sister was in active addiction, my kids were uh, preteens and teenagers in, mm. in high school. And so, I mean, I had the real discussions about, you know, auntie can't be here. You can't be going over to auntie's place. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we had these very real um, discussions, but the, the stuff that I was navigating about, um, you know, the grief and the anger and the resentment and having a place to navigate that, because you have a lot of people telling you um, what you should do. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I you need to figure that out your own self. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a time in particular, I was, uh, my husband and I, we hike our dogs every morning. Um, and, um, I was sad, very sad about what was going on with my sister. And, uh, he's like, you know what you should do. <laughs> and I'm like, squeeze me. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, uh, and it was a kind of an epiphany my relationship with my sister is my relationship with my sister. No one tells me how I'm going to have that relationship. I'm going to figure that out my own damn self. Yeah. And you have a relationship with my sister and that's for you to navigate. And so that really kind of epitomizes the moment for me where we, where we each have our own ways that we're going to, what kind of a relationship do we want with this person who's in our lives? Mm-hmm. And so the first for me was, getting counseling. And then I, um, which, uh, helped me navigate that. What I, what, what I, I knew I couldn't give up on her. I, I, that was just a non-negotiable, you know? Um, the second is, um, there's plenty of support groups for, um, um, whatever the issue is. So I started going to Naranon groups and, um, and, 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 I kind of treat those like, don't take this the wrong way, but like being a cafeteria Catholic, you show up and there's another safe place where there's people that know what you're going through and you don't have to take all the stuff in the group, you know, but you're not alone. And going to those meetings, those support group meetings, remind you that you're not alone. It confirms your feelings. It validates your feelings. And, and it's just another 
another option where, or another place where, you know, you're not alone. Yeah. And then I had, you know, I started instituting like a morning routine because my mind would just be totally occupied about her addiction and where she was and, um, you know, where she's homeless and what's happening. And just my mind would go to the scariest places. And so then I started this and it was so distracting, Christina. I mean, like I couldn't do my day job as a trial lawyer. I, I mean, know. Like I got a business to run, you know, and, and my mind is going to, you know, is she killing herself? Yada, yada. And is she going to get in recovery and rehab and blah, blah, blah. And I finally had to set, I called it M, MWBT, morning well-being time. And I would set this time and I would like my biggest fears that she would die or that she would overdose and I'd have to tell my parents or I'd have to identify the body, all these mm-hmm. things. I would, I would light a candle and I'd get up before everybody else. <laughs> I'd light a candle in the morning. I'd set my timer for, you know, how, however much time I had. And I would contemplate that. Um, whether it was my, and I called them red flag feelings, RFFs, red flag feelings, whether it was fear or resentment or anger. And I had them all. And I would set an appointment with all of those and I would take it to its absolute worst, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, coming eye to eye with those RFFs, fear in particular was the first one I met with. Um, I mean, I went to the place where I, I wrote her eulogy. I wrote her obituary. I ended up writing mine. <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing is, is th- that way in the event that that happened, I would be able to show up and articulate the truth of our relationship and the truth, the truth of what happened without being a basket case. And so that was a self-care measure that I still practice to this day. And then I do an evening wind up and I call it kind of, I, I call it the, the rose rule. And um, for every thorn of the day, right? Mm-hmm. For every thorn of the day, I come up with three petals because there's more petals on a rose than there are thorns. And so I kind of go through my, my this, this, the day, some people call it a gratitude list, but I can't help thinking about what the, what the heck went wrong today. You know? Yeah, I know, right? It's so <laughs> easy to go negative. Right. But especially for me, you know, <laughs> so for every thorn that would pop into my head, I force myself to come up with three petals and find the blessings in that. So I could reframe it for the next day because we, I, I, I learned that I can't go to sleep on those thorns because then they inform the next day. Mm-hmm. So setting up a morning, a morning routine that is healthy and good for you. Also walking in nature. I highly recommend it. I know like there's people who are urban, but find, find your park, find your place. Mm-hmm. You know, also meditation was a good one. So those are some, oh, and I also did a detox bath. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> detox bath. Oh my God, it's wonderful. Oh, so, give me the deets. Yeah, yeah. So, so hot water, you know, hot water, Epsom salts mm. uh, with uh, baking soda and uh, some drops of lavender and just soak for as long as you can tolerate. And that's also a really nice way to like go into, you know, this is before bed to ease into bed. And I also do the three, two, one rule. 
Um, so uh, stop eating three hours before bed, um, uh, no work two hours before bed, and then no, um, no electronics one hour before bed. We have to put the phone um, in, another, in another room. And I, 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 I did that because I knew I was so, I was getting these texts and these calls from her. Overwhelming. Other people. And I would, it, it, the phone started to be a trigger for me. Yeah. Like I would be scared. I my, my heart would go. And so I had to develop techniques that would um, protect me from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I know when, when the people that we love are struggling like that, it can be all consuming, you know? And like you said, it was interfering with your work life. I mean, your just being at home life, you were, you know, having anxiety. If you're like text messages went off, like, is that her, is this the day? But I really loved how you mentioned the, the thorn and then the three petals and you give it the blessing. I, I think that is a really beautiful way to uh, look at the good with the thorns that had happened in the day. And the three, two, one rule is really an amazing one too. So thank you so much for sharing those. So um, so what are five things not to do with an addict? Like what shouldn't we do um, when our loved ones are in that um, okay. frame of mind or, or in that lifestyle? Yeah. Okay. Don't give them cash. <laughs> it's going to go to drugs. Okay. Uh, don't sign any contracts um, uh, with them. Okay. So don't sign any rental contracts or because that's all going to come back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't be co-signing. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, um, don't tell them what to do. Mm. That's a big one. Okay. And, and that also goes when you love someone who loves an addict. Like if you have a, a, a close friend or a family member, remember I told you about the walk with my husband. Yeah. <laughs> like, And everybody has opinions but they're not in your, they're not walking your shoes. Yeah. They don't they're see not walking their shoes your either. eyes, you know, and the relationship is different. It's your sister and it's his sister-in-law. So, I mean, it is, it is very different because you love your sister so much and you would do anything for her to have a happy, healthy life, you know? So it means more to you than probably to him. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Their relationship is different. I, I mean, I've known her for a whole life. I'm the yeah. older sister. Yeah. Whereas my husband came in, you know, at, at, at a different time, we mm-hmm. have a completely different relationship mm-hmm. and it's, it's a similar discussion that I have with my children is um, their relationship with their, now that they're adults, um, they get to design their relationship with their auntie yeah. um, when they were not adults. I was like, no, you're not going over to aunties. You know, you're not, you're not going over to um, the trap house to like rustle up. I mean, you know, that's not happening. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, but anyway, um, getting, getting back to your question on what not to do, it's, it is really important not to tell them what, what to do. Uh, um, holding, I'm going to flip it to where it's, what to do is hold space for them mm-hmm. and then just have the discussion. You know, I'm not saying that's easy. Um, maybe take them out for a meal, you know, and just, and there could be 
no friggin' talking. You're just holding space yeah. for them to be and have a warm meal. And that maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I ended up, my sister and I ended up setting up uh, regular meeting times where I would buy her a meal. And there were often times I would just hold space and sit there while she ate and I, she would color. Um, um, and that's when she was in her depths, she, yeah. you know, so, and I wouldn't, I would, I would, um, the, the don't do, I try to flip it and frame it in a positive. So, and I, so I would bring her journals. I would bring her, um, coloring books. I would bring things that would fuel her and bring, bring her back to who she was. I, 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 I knew who she was and I could always see her. I could always see her. Even when she was in her depths, Christina, I always saw her. Yeah. But me telling her what she should do and kind of sideways trying to control her, um, uh, getting her, 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 getting her to a doctor or getting her into rehab. Um, that was, and she her away. Yeah. Me? It would probably push her away and not, want to talk to you because the last thing someone wants to be told is what to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and how to do it. And, um, and, and there's this conditioned love aspect to that Mm -hmm. is that if you, if you don't do it my way, then, you know, that's going to affect our relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, moving in a way where there's an, um, unconditional love mm-hmm. you know you know that this is good for them you know that they appreciate this you know that this is them so do that or 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 have the have the bumpers you know like when you're doing the bowling and you're a little kid and they have the bumpers so the, yeah. the ball doesn't go in the gutter put those bumpers to your relationship mm-hmm. so it doesn't go in the gutter you know and start start with the small stuff and build from there and then that's building the relationship but telling them how they should do it is really your my my way. And yeah. I did that. I learned from it. Fortunately, our, our our relationship is deep. And I'm just like, you know, and there was a time I'm just like, you know what? She got mad at me too. She's like, you're, <laughs> you're just mad and being a bitch because I'm not doing things the way you know you're you want me to. And I said, You are 110% right. Yeah. I'm stepping back. Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned this concept of um you hear about it a lot. It's called detaching with love. I reframed it to loving from afar okay. because detaching seemed like, oh, you're going to cut off the arm or you're going to cut off the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I, I couldn't do that. I, I could not cut off my connection to her, but I could have safe space where I could do, I could have set my intentions and I could love her from afar and there were times where that had to happen because it was just too harmful to me or my family um, to step in where she was. So I hope I answered your question with what not to do and then flipped it with what to what, you know, with things that you can do. No, totally. I think you've given great advice. I know a lot of families struggle with this, whether it's their children, their sisters, their brothers, even their parents. I mean, we do live. I mean, I think now more than ever people are addicted to something, whether it's pills, you know, cocaine, 
meth. I mean, they're, the, the list goes on. Everyone has a vice and sometimes people take it to the next extreme and it takes over their lives. And I know it's a problem happening in almost every family. Um, you can't really quite quote, quote me on that, but I know it's happening a lot. Um, so, and how were you able to spot like her high functioning addiction? Like how can us or like people be on the lookout for someone who is a high functioning addict? Right. Well, hindsight's 2020, of course. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> and so and I'm just going to add to your, 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 your kind of list there of addictions. There's all kinds of addictions. There's food addictions, there's sex addictions, there's yeah. all kinds of addictions. And it really gets down to how do we love love these people in their suffering okay mm -hmm. that's that's what it gets down to um <laughs> um but yeah how to so how to spot a high functioning addict is is basically uh and now i can look back because at the time i had no clue yeah you know, i had no clue of course when she's you know homeless and on the streets it's pretty glaring in my face um but i can look back now and see that her inability to manage the daily, mm -hmm. the smallest things were overwhelming to her. Yeah. Uh, this, this, and I mean, and this was a woman that was, you know, captain of her soccer, her college soccer team and has a license as a counselor yeah. and couldn't manage her, couldn't manage her schedule. Um, and her employer at the time was not giving her the keys to the office. These, these, I, I don't want to say should, because I don't like to should on myself, mm -hmm. but there was always, there was always an excuse for some crisis that came up and there was always a crisis coming up, whether there was a car wreck, um, or, or yeah, she lost her keys or the employer, um, wasn't giving her keys or wasn't, um, allowing patients or, or, uh, you know, on her calendar. Mm -hmm. Also her physical appearance. Um, she gained a lot of weight and this is, um, my sister, like I said before, she's a, a college athlete yeah. and a marathon, marathon runner girl. And just, I am not an athlete. And so to see her physical appearance morph. Uh, and then it's, uh, there was a lot of, um, so like I said, my sister was a heroin and meth addict. Um, so she would always wear long sleeves and the hoodies, and then she'd wear the hats that could, would cover her eyebrows because her, her, her complexion and her, her, her eyebrow hair was going away when I would ask about things like that she was like oh it's a dermatolo dermatological condition and of course my naive <laughs> I'm like okay no, makes sense that <laughs> you know like I didn't I didn't I wasn't I didn't know to be aware of those things you know I didn't uh I mean I would and I would be just like are you okay you know and um and then there were some other things like panic attacks over minor things um um uh just a a, a, a overstated response to a minor thing um um yeah I said I'm um, a lot sorry about that but those are the in hindsight those are the things I uh I can say yeah 
Yeah, no, just kind of like notice what you're noticing. Try to be on the alert for like some behavioral changes. And I think it also is important what you had mentioned, um, like the reaction to the small things, you know, and Mm -hmm. noticing like the little crises in their life, like losing keys, uh, losing the job, you know, change in dress, change in body. Yeah. um, And things like, oh, my rent money got stolen. Yeah. Just like weird (laughs) stories. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well then report, let's report it to the police, you know, but if she's like, if they're making drugs in their apartment and it got stolen by another junkie, that ain't happening. You know, I know that now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're not going to get me this time. I know what's up. Right. And then like the demise of relationships, uh, you know, like like important relationships, like she was married and they were constantly fighting. Uh, And it didn't used to be that way. Um, and, And so just, uh, and the, and the way that they would would try to problem solve it was uh, so yeah, those are some more indications. Yeah, just kind of be on high alert. Notice what you're noticing, and it's okay to question. And sometimes I feel like it's almost like your intuition can kind of tell you what's going on, but you just don't want to believe it. You know, so if yeah. your intuition is kind of telling you something most likely just try to listen to it, investigate it, but don't like be super prying on them and like mm-hmm. get in their face. Yeah. Like really what's going on, just kind of be like mm-hmm. you know, off on the side and just try to see what you can find out without them really knowing. I feel right. Like. There's a fine line between yeah. respecting their privacy as an adult, you know, and, uh, and, and then, and then, you know, caring about them. Mm-hmm. And another thing was I was never invited into the home, never invited into their apartment. Mm-hmm. And, um, she, she would, they would start not showing up to family events. That's um, a big sign when people, because they don't want to be around everyone because they're high or doing their right addiction, and there was whatever it is, or they're ashamed. They feel ashamed. Like that's a huge sign is when they don't start showing up to the family events right and there was always an excuse like I have to work or um uh I'm sick I me Michaela I now know that was she was dope sick (laughs) that she wasn't really sick but what was I doing I was making chicken soup and you know pumpkin cookies and leaving them on our doorknob because they wouldn't have they wouldn't allow me in and now I know why um because there were probably you know needles and everything and i freak out, you know, and I feel like, what the heck? Um, but I know this in hindsight now. And so just kind of, yeah, trust your little instincts there. I'm just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, your sister's very lucky to have you as a sister, because, you know, I can tell that you were very much there for her and you really investigated for your own self on how to be there without, being pushed away. So, you know, it's great that we have, you know, people like you to share the knowledge. Cause I know that there's probably a lot of people that have loved ones, you know, like I said, that are going through the addictions and you want to just do everything you can to like, just shake it out of them. And, you know, and it really mm-hmm. has to be on their time and, you know, learning through people that have experienced it is kind of the, kind of the best way to learn and makes you feel like you're really not alone. In the process. 
And um, I felt so alone during during that and that nobody understood. And that's the more I, which is why I wrote the book too, because I want people to know you're not alone. Here's what worked for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can people find the book? How can people buy this book? Yes, they can go on Amazon. It, uh, when I, I released it in September, which is recovery month, and it shot to uh, Amazon's uh, number one hot new release. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah. When you get it on Amazon. It's Sister Siren, a nonfiction about addiction and a field guide on how to love an addict. And it's basically our family's journey from the moment we learned uh, into, and she went to rehab a couple times uh, and uh, into recovery and how she found her way there. I've included tips and tools of what, you know, what worked for me. My sister wrote the prologue and my dad wrote the epilogue. So it kind of goes full circle. And um, yeah, we're just so um, happy that um, my sister found recovery and um, we can step into um, caring for our parents now. Our parents are in their mid seventies. And so they're kind of going through their, our our mother has Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and our father just had a stroke. And I remember being one of the things I was afraid of, or that I had a resentment about that I had to work on one of those RFFs was that I would have to care for my parents alone because she was going to shoot herself up to death. And, um, she is just, we are stepping in together to care for our parents. And it's been, I'm so, I'm so blessed that she's still with us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michaela, for sharing your beautiful story. Um, I'm sure the listeners got a lot of insight from it. And I really appreciate, you know, the vulnerability that you had in writing the book as well. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Booksmarts, Authors on Show. Don't forget to check out Michaela's book, Sister Siren, available on Amazon. And I hope to see you guys in the next one. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Booksmarts, Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.